We'll take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be looking at one verse this morning, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. We looked at the whole text last week in verses 7 through 19, uh, but as I mentioned last week, we're going to come back before we get into chapter 4, Lord willing, next week, and focus on this one very important and practical verse in verse 13. Uh, one of the most, if not the most, well-known stories that Jesus told among all of his stories is the story of the lost sheep. A simple story of a man who has a hundred sheep. One of them goes away and he then pursues that sheep, leaves the 99, finds that sheep, brings it back, and everyone rejoices as the lost sheep is found. Now, we have a recording of Jesus telling that story twice in the Gospels. In Luke 15 and in Matthew 18, the exact same story, completely different context, and Jesus used the same story to make two separate points. In Luke 15, it says that the religious leaders who could not comprehend that the promised Messiah would dine with tax collectors and sinners were grumbling in their hearts as they saw Jesus eating with people of ill repute. And so they grumbled and complained among each other. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew their disgruntled heart. He knew that they had missed the very heart of God. And so in order to confront them with the heart of God, he tells them this story. The story of a man who had a hundred sheep and one leaves. And out of love and affection, he goes and finds the one and brings it back and then says this. And then he had a party and everyone celebrates as the lost one was found. He then tells about the lost coin and the lost son. All of those stories in Luke 15 telling us one simple truth. God passionately loves and aggressively pursues the lost. And even this morning, if you're an unbeliever, God is showing you by your presence here or by the fact that you're watching online that God loves you and he's pursuing you, he's coming after you. This is the heartbeat of God who loves and pursues sinners. But then the same story is also given to us in Matthew 18 and a completely different context. In Matthew 18, the context is not those who are unbelievers, but those who are believers, those inside the church. He tells us in Matthew 18, a warning to not cause a young believer to stumble. He says to believers, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And he warns us of the seriousness of sin. He talks to us about fighting temptation. And then in that context, he says this. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and loses one, will he not leave the 99 and go after the one? And then right after telling that story, he says this. So if a brother sins against you, go after him. And then he talks about church discipline. That process, which really begins more organically when an individual person notices someone who might be walking in sin and as a response to that goes out of love and finds them and encourages them to come back a process which becomes more formal as someone refuses to respond and then the whole church goes after them. And the whole point of both of those stories is that God loves and aggressively pursues people, listen, both sinners and saints. Matthew 18 shows us the heartbeat of God as he loves and pursues even saints who tend to wander away. You know, don't you, that saints also can wander 
We sing in that great hymn, Come Thou Fount, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And every time we sing that song, it's that line that resonates so much with me because I feel in my own heart that I am prone to wander and leave the God I love. And we have a God who aggressively loves those who wander away and pursues them, and he calls us to embrace the same thing. You see, we see a little picture of the heart of God and then the heart of God manifested in the action of God. And so it is that God says, I want you to have my heart. And in response to that, it is the call of God in our lives to pursue both sinners and saints as they're wandering away. And that is really the heartbeat of our text this morning in Hebrews chapter three, God's heart for wandering saints and his desire that we embrace that heart and act upon it. If you're there in Hebrews 3, say amen. Look at what it says in verse 13. It says this. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now the reason that this verse is so important is because the potential for all of us to wander is real. Every single one of us wander. Sometimes we wander for a moment. Sometimes we wander for a day. Sometimes we wander for longer than that. And because all of us have a tendency like sheep to wander away, we desperately need people in our lives to pursue us. And that is the responsibility and the, and the role of the church. Not the church meaning the role of the pastor, although it is, but when I say the role of the church, I mean you. The role of every member of the church is to aggressively pursue those that might be wandering away and embracing the heart of God. Now, one of the things that I worry about as we talk about Hebrews, and this is our 10th week in Hebrews, is that we might, in the midst of all of the deep theological truths, which we have been wading in some deep waters over the last few weeks, we might forget that this is a book written by a real person, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to real people, in a real church, and it all comes out of a very real heartfelt concern. You see, the context of the whole book is there's a group of people who've made a profession of faith, much like this one. Some have really, truly trusted Christ. Some have just made a decision and have not trusted Christ. But the author doesn't know who is who, and so in every single chapter of the book of Hebrews, knowing that after they've made that profession of faith, there's all kind of pressure on them, there's religious pressure, there's family pressure, there's social pressure, there's persecution. All of those things drawing them away, tempting them to go away from their confession of faith in every single verse. He's just pleading with them to hold on. Keep loving Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. There's nothing better than Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus. This is a real warning to real people of a very real danger. I've just kind of noticed over the last few weeks as we look at some of these theological truths and we try to fit them in, in our neat theological box where we have everything in order and this must be true and this must be true and this must be true. But sometimes we come to something that doesn't seem to quite fit in the box and we fail to realize that what God is trying to get us to do is to not simply fit everything in your box, but to understand the reality of this in everyday life. Because the truth is this, people wander away. They drift away. 
It's just about a month ago in which I received a phone call, timely, particularly since I'm immersing myself and you in the book of Hebrews, from a very good friend about a mutual friend. This mutual friend we share was someone I was on staff with when Andrea and I uh, were first married for a few years. And we actually were responsible for a citywide college service where I would preach and he would do the music. And uh, I've stayed close with him over the last uh, 17, 18 years. And the call I received was telling me that this man that I used to be on staff with that led the music before I preached had just abandoned his family and walked away from the faith, leaving four small children, all girls. And so the pastor that we used to work for, along with this man's father, got in the car in the middle of the night, drove to another state and pled with him to change his mind and to come back to his family in Christ, to which he responded, we just don't believe in the same God anymore. And so the friend that called me got in the car with his brother and they drove all night and they got to his house and they looked at him and they said, you're being a fool. This is a lie. You cannot believe this. You cannot walk away. And he said, I'm sorry. I know the implications of this. I know this is what it's going to do to my family, but this is just the decision I'm making. The truth is, is the more we begin to think about these concepts, the more we realize that we know this happens. We know these stories. We know people in these categories. And sometimes it's just hard to figure out what to do with these kind of things. But in the midst of all of that, it is the reality that that happens that makes the book of Hebrews plead with us to say, walk with Jesus today. Just walk with Jesus today. And that's everything we looked at last week. We saw last week that two times in our text, and you see it there in verse 7 and verse 15, it says this. Today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's a warning for us, every single one of us. It starts with holy brothers, those who have made a profession of faith, those who know the Lord. Listen, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You have one responsibility, every one of you in this room, one responsibility today, obey what the Lord says to you. And if you ignore the word of God just today, it might lead you to ignoring the, Lord, the word of God tomorrow. And as a result of that, you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And look at what it says in verse 13, that you will, I'm sorry, verse 12, that if you continue to do this, it will lead you to fall away from the living God. You continue to harden your heart, it will call you to fall away from the living God. Now that word fall away is the word where we get our English word apostasy. Apostasy means to abandon something or to leave something. And we know this without question, it's possible for someone to make a profession of faith and then to leave it. To at some point in their life make a decision Say a prayer, walk an aisle, join a church, and then later on to deny the decision that they made. And if it wasn't enough that we have these people in our own lives, the Bible gives us tons of examples. I think about 2 Timothy 4 when Paul talks about his companion, Demas, who went with him on his missionary journeys, and he said, he has deserted me for the love of the things of the world. I think about Hymenius and Alexander in 1 Timothy 1. These were also companions of Paul. And it says that they have rejected the truth and made a shipwreck of their faith. So at some point, these three people 
decided they would follow Jesus, went with Paul on missionary journeys, and at a later time decided they no longer believed and they walked away. Think about the parable of the soils. It says that there are some who receive the gospel with joy and everyone looks at them and says, praise God, it's so evident. They know the Lord and they join the church and they get excited and they seem to bear fruit. But it says that the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world and the persecution and the suffering choke it out and they fall away. I mean, we don't know anything about the early life of Judas. We don't know about his decision as we do with Matthew and Peter and James and John. But I would have to think that at some point, Judas saw Jesus and made a decision to follow Jesus. And he left something to do it. He said, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give the next three years of my life to follow Jesus. And at some point, he made that decision. But at some other point, he realized that he loved the things of the world more than he loved Jesus and completely denied Jesus. I don't think he started that way. It is possible for those who profess faith to at some other time later in life to leave the faith. Some fall away and return. I'm so thankful for the testimony of Peter and David. Uh, Peter said, Lord, they will all leave you, but I will never deny you. And Jesus says, no, it won't be long here before the night is done when you'll deny me three times. And he does, and he weeps, and he repents, and he comes back to Jesus. And you open a book of the Acts, and who's preaching at Pentecost? Peter. Think about David, who made an absolute mess of his life. I just got done reading this in my own personal time with the Lord in First and Second Samuel. You just see the way in which he loved Jesus, had such an intimate walk with Jesus, and made some really dumb decisions. And the rippling effects of that were massive, yet he repents and he turns back and the Lord forgives him and he's made right in fellowship. The truth is, the way in which you discern the difference between someone who knows the Lord and doesn't know the Lord, this is Matthew 18, is that all of us wander. The question is this, do you come back? Do you make evidence of your love for Jesus Christ? And some never return. I just think we have to be honest to say that this is confusing. I mean, it's really hard to handle for me, someone that I worked with and prayed with and ministered with and went to staff meeting with and led services with that has now denied the faith and left his family. That's hard. That's hard to put in my little box. Truth is, is that we see it often. I was talking with a good friend of mine this week, and we're talking about the name. Some of you may know this name, Joshua Harris. He's about my age, and uh, there was a time in which he was a prolific Christian writer. He not only wrote some great books on purity, but he wrote some incredible books on theology. There was a season in my life in which these were the books that we were using for everything. He pastored a church for 17 years, a very large, prominent church. There was also a season in which you didn't see any conference in which his name wasn't on it. He was the one who was always called to speak. And two years ago, after 17 years of pastoring, left his family and said he no longer believes the gospel. That's hard. That's the reason that we have passages like this, to bring us at least some clarity. And some of the clarity in the midst of Hebrews, and there's a lot of things we don't know, but let me tell you some things we do know. We do know this. Not everyone who makes a profession of faith is a genuine believer. Not everyone who says a prayer, walks an aisle, goes to camp, gets baptized, is actually a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that. We also know that it's possible for a professing believer to leave the faith. 
to make a decision and then to walk away from it. But we also know this, listen, we also know without question that God never abandons anyone who trusts in him. We know that. We can be confident in the truth of Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work will complete it. In Romans 8, that it, those who he foreknew and called and predestined, he justifies and glorifies. We can be confident that if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ today, he will not leave you. We also know that genuine believers demonstrate that they're genuine believers by their perseverance. I mean, look at chapter three, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's not saying the way we become a believer is by holding fast to the end. It says this, the way we know that we're a believer is that first decision we made has remained a decision throughout our lives. It means that we have continued to repent and to trust and to follow the Lord. This is why Hebrews 10.38 says the righteous live by faith. They walk by faith. They have good days and bad days. They wander for a day. They wander for a few days. But true, genuine believers continue to love Christ and trust Christ and walk by faith. And the goal of this, this passage is not to get true believers to be insecure. The goal is not to stir up insecurity. Listen to me. If you're walking by faith and you're trusting the Lord and you're following the Lord and you love the Lord Jesus Christ, as imperfect as you do it, you can be confident in the truth of John 6, 37 that says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's a good promise, amen? If you're trusting Christ, holding that confidence, holding that confession, walking with the Lord and loving him, you can be confident that he will not cast you out. The truth is, is, the goal of this text is to make every professing believer, every authentic believer, aware of the deceitfulness of sin. That sin is real and Satan is a liar and sin is deceitful. As it says that if we continue to ignore the voice of God and harden our heart and are deceived by sin, our heart will over time become cold. And so as I'm studying this, what, what I'm feeling is in every one of these texts, the Lord's saying to me, Josh, keep following me, keep looking to me, keep trusting me. I know I'm only getting to heaven because I'm holding on to Jesus. He's the only one that can get me there, but keep holding on. And don't ignore the voice of the Lord because over time, if you keep doing that, Josh, you too can see your heart hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And what we have in this text is really two competing voices. The first voice is that one that we saw in verse 7 and verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, well, that's the voice of God. The voice that you hear by the Spirit of God through the Word of God through the preaching of God's word, to the singing of songs. This is the voice of God that we hear by the spirit of God. And the reason we need to be in this word every day is because we need God's word every day. But there is a competing voice and it's in verse 13. Look, it says that you'll be hardened by the deceitfulness, the lie of sin. How does that come? Well, that comes with a competing voice. And so we kind of have this, comic caricature of 
a little evil birdie here and a little godly birdie here and they're both telling us things to do and the good little birdie says do this and the bad little birdie says do this and we joke about those things. But let me just tell you something, that's exactly every moment of your life. Except they're not little birdies. It's the voice of God and the voice of Satan who is the father of lies and wants to take you to hell. Let me just tell you, every moment of your life, there are competing voices, the voice of God that is speaking, saying, trust me, follow me, walk with me. My way is better. My path is better. I am the one that has life. And then there is the voice of the deceitfulness of sin where Satan, who is a liar, John 8, is constantly trying to get you to believe there's something better than Jesus. And, and that's it. L listen to this. Satan tells us a thousand lies that are packaged in a thousand different ways, but do you know every lie of the enemy is exactly the same? Here it is. There's something better than Jesus. Jesus isn't worth it. I mean, I have this friend of mine who's intelligent and knows the word of God and was in ministry, and as intelligent as he is, he's believing the same stupid lie, that there's something out there better than Jesus. That Jesus isn't worth it. This is the same lie that Satan gave to Jesus in his temptation. He said, hey, do you see the world? I'll give you the world if you'll follow me. That's what he promises. He promises the world. And every single lie the enemy gives you is the exact same lie. Jesus is not worth it. And so my, my role every Sunday morning is to continue to be the voice in your life, which is saying to this, there's nothing better than Jesus. Like this is the reason I have this deep conviction in preaching that, that, that my job is not to give you some clever principles and then leave you with six possible applications so you can leave saying, well, maybe I could do this or this or this. And No, no, no. I don't give you principles and applications. I give you the word of God and then plead with you to respond to it. That's, that's my job. Plead with you that this is life and death here. Because the voice you listen to matters. That's, 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 there's two voices and it matters if you follow the lie. Little ones, day by day. Over time, your heart grows cold and the ice spreads and your heart gets hard. Listen, this is a very real warning for all of us. This is a very real warning. This is why Hebrews 2, 1 says, pay close attention to what you've heard. What have you heard? The gospel of Jesus Christ, lest ye drift away from it. This is a real warning for us. And what I believe from Hebrews is this. True believers heed these warnings. You see, a true believer doesn't go, well, once saved, always saved. I don't need to listen to this. That's not the attitude of a true believer. A true believer says this, Lord Jesus, I'm trusting in you for salvation, but I'm holding on to you because John chapter 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You're not following him and trusting him and trying to do all of these works so you can be saved. No, you're saved by what Jesus has done for you. But the evidence of that is you hear these warnings and you say, God, I want to hold on to you. I don't want to believe the lie. And so everything here is motivated by this. I desire to get you to hear the right voice of God. And all of that was just the context for the sermon today. Sorry, it's, I promise the rest is going to be quicker. This is, this is a very real threat, a very daily battle. And so what God has said is knowing the seriousness of the threat 
and that any one of us could harden our hearts and wander away in some ways, God has given us a means by which we hold on, a gift, an incredible gift. God is saying, in order to help you persevere, one of the gifts I've given you is the gift of one another. It's the gift of verse 13. But because of verse 12, that you could have an unbelieving heart and lead you to fall away from the living God, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. One of the most important ways in which God has chosen to keep you faithful is the involvement of other people in your lives to make sure you're listening to the right voice. Because sometimes you can't even discern your own error. Someone else has to see it and point it out. And sometimes, this is the nature of drifting, you don't even know you're drifting, but someone else notices that you're drifting and their responsibility is to call that out. So that's the whole point of this verse, the ministry of each other and helping each other make it faithful until the end. So let's just look at a a few key words. The the what of this text is right there in the word exhort. What What are we called to do? We're called to exhort. That word means to plead, or to urge, or to persuade, or to encourage. Again, my preaching philosophy is is really to persuade you. I believe part of my role is persuasion. Not manipulation, but persuasion. I want to persuade you that Jesus is better. And I want to persuade you to say no to sin. Every Sunday, that's part of what I'm doing. And so, so it is, we're persuading each other. Now, exhortation has both a positive and a negative feel to it. The positive is just this idea of of encouraging each other in the faith. Just, hey, keep going. I know this is hard. I know this is a tough season. It's recognizing when someone's going through a tough season and just blessing them and speaking truth into them and speaking life into them. It's saying, hey, I know this is hard, but press on. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Lay aside sin. Keep following it. It feels very, very positive. I got a call a few weeks ago from a pastor, acquaintance of mine. We don't know each other that well, but uh, he's a pastor in Virginia. And he sent me an email and he said, um, hey, listen, we have a young man in our church. His wife, 40 years old, three young children, five, three, and one, was just diagnosed with stage four cancer. She'd been going to the doctor for months and she had some pain in her back and her stomach. They took blood work in December. The doctor said there's nothing wrong. And last week they got a scan and it's everywhere, stomach, back, She's just covered and it doesn't look good. And he said, I know about your journey with Andrea. Would you mind talking with him? And so I call him and we talk and uh, I text him every couple of days. I texted him this morning. I, I, as I was studying and praying for today, I thought about him and the fact that it was Mother's Day and the weight of that. I just felt what, what their house was like today. And my role in his life is just to say, brother, I know this is hard, but keep trusting Jesus. Brother, this is, this, is, this is the most difficult thing you will ever go through, but just love Jesus today. Don't give up on Jesus today. And I feel it. I feel the weight of that. And my role is to, to Hebrews 3.13 in his life, to exhort him. And that doesn't look like rebuke. That just looks like, brother, I'm praying for you and, and I'm with you. And if there's anything I can do, that's, that's my role in his life. And I love that God has given me the opportunity. My heart breaks for him. But it also does have a more negative side in the sense of sometimes it looks like a sharp rebuke. And sometimes it looks like seeing someone wander away and saying, brother, you can't, you can't do this. You can't live this way. 
You haven't been in church in a while, and I, and I want to encourage you to come back. Whether you're believing a lie, it, it does look like looking someone in the eye and saying, you're acting like a fool. Don't believe the lie. Walk with Jesus. Turn from your sin. Repent. And everything in Hebrews, we know this from Hebrews 13, 22, the whole book is an exhortation. And sometimes it looks at us and says, hey, just hold on to Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. And sometimes it looks at us and says, do not believe the lie of sin and completely wreck your life. There's both of those feelings. So that, that's the what. We're called to speak both words of encouragement and often words of rebuke into the lives of other people. So, so who are we to do this with? Well, that's the next words, one another. Exhort one another. Now, I believe the context here is the church. Because Matthew 18 says that when you see someone going away, then you are to go to them. And the whole context there is the church. You eventually tell it to the church. And the context here of the one of another is those in the church. This is why I often say, and I believe this, and I say it thoughtfully, I don't know how anyone gets to heaven without a church. It's possible. I, I just know that the primary means by which God helps someone be faithful until the end are almost all a part of the church. That God has ordained it that believers need a church. And the context is, is the church because you need people that you know well enough so you can obey this command. This is not a suggestion. This is why I don't preach suggestions. This is a command that you need to be exhorting one another. Well, who do you know well enough to exhort? Who are you with on a regular basis in the context of walking with Jesus that you can obey this command? And you know them well enough to do this in their lives. You don't get that without a church. But you also need people doing it to you. Who's gonna know when you don't come to church for four weeks? Who's gonna know that? Who, who, who's around you that is thinking about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I would imagine there's someone in your life that knows if you don't show up for work in four weeks. I would think you've got someone like that and they might exhort you in that, right? It may start as an encouragement, it might end in a sharp rebuke. But eternally more significant than showing up for work is walking with Jesus Christ and showing up for church eternally more significant, who's gonna know when you don't? This is why you have to be committed in a place like this. And part of this is on the church and part of this is on you. Part of this is your responsibility to be a part of the one another. So exhort one another, that's the what and the who and the when, look, every day. <laughs> exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Meaning this is not an isolated event. This is not, will you remember that time you did this? This is the daily habit of brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's why. Because the responsibility of every believer is to obey today. And every day you're getting both voices, which means every day we need other people helping us to believe the truth and not the lie. So on those days when the devil's not talking to you, you don't need anybody to do this for you. But there's not any of those days. Okay, you'll never have one of those days until glory. And so if this is happening to you every day, every day you need these people in your life. And again, this is not always negative. This is just the culture of the church that we're just encouraging one another. We're speaking life. Matter of fact, I would say the rebukes of exhortation are more rare. The more frequent thing is just encouraging one another to walk with Jesus. 
It feels much more like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Hey, look to Jesus. Keep following Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. And as you get to know people in a community group and in a D group, what happens is you've got people speaking this way into your life. God is using us to combat the lies of the enemy so that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Satan is real, his lies are powerful, and we need each other to walk in the truth. As I was studying this this week, I just, at one moment, just kind of sat back and and just thought, what a humbling thing this is. I mean, part of it's humbling because through this text, God is saying, Josh, you're not sufficient to stay faithful. Like you got, you have to have people in your lives, in your life in order to, to keep obeying the Lord day by day. It just reminded me of my need for other people. But it's also humbling in the fact that God wants to use me and God wants to use you to be an active part of people's lives and encouraging them to persevere and to stay faithful. What an unbelievable thought. God is saying you have a significant role, an eternally significant role in constantly speaking life into the other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just give you a couple of of practical thoughts on on how to do this. The first one is, is obey the spirit. How many of you know the feeling when God lays somebody on your heart? You just think about him, raise your hand. You know that feeling, well, God just laid somebody in your heart. Can I just tell you, when God lays somebody in your heart, pray for them, that's good. But don't just pray for them, do something. Could it be that God knows something they're dealing with and you don't know and you may never know, but God has put them on your heart so you'll just do something. When God lays something on your heart, this is true of everything. God tells you to give, give. God tells you to speak, speak. God tells you to go, go. You're walking in the spirit and any time, listen, any time God puts somebody on your heart, call them, drive to their house, knock on the door, just be a part of their life. Follow the promptings of the spirit. The next thing is this, speak God's word to them. If, if, if the, the temptation here is to believe a lie, we'll combat the lie with the truth. Remind them of the promises of God. Sometimes that's a rebuke, but more than that, it's just an encouragement or a blessing or a motivation. It's just saying, brother, I wanna remind you how good it is to walk with Jesus, that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Bring them God's word. That's what they need to hear. Be gentle and humble. Be gentle and humble. Galatians 6.1, a very important verse. It says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there's the spirit of humility in which I acknowledge I also need this in my life every day. There's a spirit of gentleness in which we say to someone, listen, I love you. I mean, the heart of the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep is to say, listen, I love you and I want you back. And You matter to me, and there is a tenderness, an embracing, a compassion, a gentleness to this act. And that's the way in which you go. And then finally, you, in every conversation, you're exalting Jesus. So listen, if the one lie, no matter how many forms it comes in, is that there's something better than Jesus, the one truth that we're giving to every individual, listen, this is the one truth every day that we need to be speaking into everybody's life. It's the one truth my kids need to hear from me every day, and it's simply this. There's just nothing better than Jesus. That's it. That's it. 
That's it. Every sermon comes back to that. Every song comes back to that. Every conversation is that. There's nothing better than Jesus. Everything else is a lie. And everything else will disappoint. And everything else will lead you to greater brokenness. So in your hopes to find something better, you leave Jesus to find something better and realize it just makes life worse. So I'm thinking about my friend who's leaving his four girls for the promise of something better. It's going to make everything more complicated. It is going to make everything in his life worse. He will live the rest of his life if he does not turn from this in greater brokenness. Nothing is going to get better. It's all going to get worse. And there's a thousand things he needs to hear. And someone needs to continue to shake him and say, you're acting like a fool. But all he really needs to believe is that Jesus is better. And it's better to do the right thing. And part of trusting and following Jesus is even when it's hard and your marriage is a mess, you just step in and say, I'm going to do the right thing thing. The simple message, there's just nothing better than Jesus Christ. You can search the world and nothing is going to fill you like Jesus Christ. I just think about the way in which God has used these kind of moments in the lives of good friends of mine. If they've wandered away for moments and someone loved them enough to come after them and you know what? They came back. And by coming back, you know what we know? They know Jesus. Some of them ran further away, but some of them came back. So we continue to just say to one another, just keep trusting and following Jesus. Nothing is better than Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. We not only preach it to ourselves, we give it to everyone around us with the hope that we might be faithful until the end. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.